Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and I am so excited for today's program. Today, I have the first lady of nails with me. Her name is Susie Weish-Fishman. Susie's the co-founder of OPI Products, the world's largest professional nail care brand. She's also the creative visionary behind the iconic names of many nail colors like Lincoln Park After Dark, You Don't Know Jack. And as it turns out, the woman I've been married to for 30 years tells me the other day her favorite is called I'm Not Really a Waitress. So I did not even know she'd been wearing Susie's products for 20 years. I'm Not Really a Waitress is also the title of this fantastic book, that I'm going to ask Susie about today. It's a fascinating story. Susie is an immigrant who left communist Hungary, came to the States by way of Israel, pursued the American dream, and helped build a best-in-brand company, and she knows her stuff. Susie, we are just honored to have you on this broadcast with us today. Thanks for joining me. Oh, Brian, thank you so much for asking me. I'm very excited to be speaking with you. Well, like I was sharing with you beforehand, we're a book-buying group of people. We're a book-reading audience and i come out with my best of books each year this is right here is the best book i've read in 2019 and a lot of times we get people calling us hey i've got a book coming out and a lot of great authors and stuff like that but this was when i walked into my team and i said find me this woman i want to talk to this woman she's absolutely fantastic you have an amazing story an inspirational story and i've been there done that highs and lows of true entrepreneurship story And uh, I kind of want to dive in there if we can. There's a lot of folks in our world today, especially if you grow up in America, they say a fish discovers water last. Uh, You and I grew up in places that perhaps weren't as blessed as America in regards to economics and opportunity. Talk to us a little bit about where you started and what it was like growing up in a communist country in Hungary. As you say, I was born in Hungary and I lived there until I was 10 years old. And, you know, it's hard to imagine when you live in a country it's freedom, what it's like not to have it. Mm. You know, my dad was under constant surveillance. They wanted him to join the Communist Party, which my dad refused. So as my dad would say, one leg was always in jail. Mm. You know, you never knew when they would pick my father up, the secret police, you never knew if you ended up in Siberia and not heard of again. Crazy. So um, then we left Hungary in 1966 and we emigrated to Israel. And we lived there for three years until we got our green cards through the American embassy. And my dad's dream was to come to America. Mm -hmm. And in 1969, we arrived in New York City. You know, it's crazy, right? I mean, so many people can't even picture. I mean, you grew up in a culture where one of the things that was kind of eye-opening for me was just the pervasive culture was neighbors spying on neighbors and people giving each other up and this constant oppressive feeling. And then you come to America, and it's like, it's the opposite. You have this freedom. Now, it doesn't mean it's not without its challenges. Speaking the language, knowing anybody, what work do we do? I mean, you guys started at ground zero when you arrived in New York. Is that true? Absolutely. And, you know, when you don't know the language and you come to a new country, you kind of feel isolated. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important to assimilate into the country that you choose to live in Mm -hmm. and learn the language and make friends. I mean, this country has opportunities like no place in the world. Right. It's really, if you work hard, you just have to go and get it. Yeah, and it's there for you. And and again, 
I know myself, you know, I came on a vacation and got run over by a car. But even though I had a tough start, I was a tough start in America. So there's really no such thing as a tough start, right? That's fantastic. So talk about your very first job, because you started off very early on working right away. Yes, and if you know me, the one thing I love the most is ice cream. <laughs> so where do I land my first job? At Dairy Queen. Nice. And I can still hear the crunch, vanilla soft serve, and you dip it in the chocolate, <laughs> and then you bite into that, and oh, that sound, that taste. <laughs> <laughs> You should be buying a franchise. It makes it sound so good. <laughs> Obviously, I'm very passionate about ice cream. <laughs> and then you ended up getting involved in kind of not the most glamorous part of it, but you ended up in the fashion industry one way or the other through a family member. Is that right? That is correct. My sister married my partner in OPI, George right. Schaefer, right. and him and his parents were also immigrants who came to the U.S. in 1956. And they had a uh, manufacturing, clothing manufacturing company in uh, New York City. And every day after school, I went to the factory and put the tickets in with the, you know, those hang tags with uh-huh. the Denison gun. And that was my job. Yeah. 12 shirts at a time. <laughs> 12, you know, 11 and then the 12 to cross and that made a dozen. Yep. Yep. So not the most glamorous start, but fighting hard, getting in the game, figuring out what you did, being a good student. I'm going to go down into your business chronology here in a minute, but I want to switch gears for a second. As an immigrant myself, I find that many Americans don't kind of see what's here, and I understand that. I have six kids. I'm always trying to educate them and articulate them. Not, hey, you know, we walked around barefoot and that stuff, but to try to see the opportunities. How do you think being an immigrant gave you this advantage to be able to see the opportunities when many of the people around you didn't? Well, first of all, I always wanted to control my own destiny, Hmm. and that was very important. And hard work, truly anything is possible in this country, Uh and I was very motivated. You know, I had dreams of wanting things, obviously some material things, but Uh just achieving things that, you know, give you personal satisfaction. And what you learn is if you work hard in this country, you can achieve it. Uh I mean... Anything is possible. And I know it sometimes sounds like a cliche, you know, when people tell you, but it really is the truth. Yeah. You have a dream, you pursue that dream, you can achieve it. And there's some practical things along the way. And I'm going to dive into some of the dynamics. We have a a lot of folks who own businesses listening in today. And you have some fantastic business principles in your book. I mean, it's real life entrepreneurship. You know, today, there's a lot of people there. They're on The Apprentice on Tuesday and they write their biography on a Thursday. You know, we try to specialize in people who've been there and done that. And that includes highs, lows, mistakes. You know, okay, we tried the lipstick business. That didn't work out so good. You know, you try these different things. But you have a few quotes in your book that I highlighted, and I would love to get your take on it. You say, a business without a vision isn't a business. It's a pastime. What does that mean to you? Well, you know, we always had a long-term vision for the brand. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I always say, yes, you need to know competition, what's going on around you, but you have a long-term vision and you follow that vision. You know, there'll be zigs and zags in the road, but you just continue on your path. If it feels good in your gut and you have the passion, it's very important for a brand success to have long-term vision. What's going to be the first year, second year, third year, how you're going to accomplish the sales, the benchmarks, the goals. You cannot just jump around. It's going to be a failure. Which a long-term vision to me counteracts one of the challenges with entrepreneurship and our culture today, which is instant gratification, dealing with emotions, 
this OPI company that everybody loves today was in Los Angeles, but it was you guys made dentures and you made uh, right you made dental implants and things like that. When you guys got in the game, you saw that people from the nail salons were coming by for lacquers and they were kind of making their own for nails. You guys took a year, two years to kind of figure out, hang on a second here, there's a market here, there's a need here, there's something that doesn't exist here. You kept the dental business going, but in the meantime, you took the long-term approach to kind of develop a product line that when you did launch, it was fantastic. I got to think that long-term vision is what helped you sustain through the, hey, we're not making a lot of money in our business right now, but we have a long-term picture. Exactly. Money, forget it. The first two years, nothing. Right. The third year, if you're lucky. But the one thing that I want to stress to your listeners, patience. Mm. For any successful person to succeed, you must have patience. Mm-hmm. To see things through, and as you mentioned, it takes time. The R&D development, the research, to study your market, to study your consumers, to study your audience, all that takes time. And you really need to be good, and patience is a virtue for successful people. Yeah, I have this quote highlighted from you. It's patience, not only a virtue, it's a business skill. And when you launch a business, you must have patience to build relationships, become profitable, overcome the inevitable bumps in the road, and stay committed to that long-term vision. And that, to me, is also very counterintuitive for the current American society, where it's, you know, it's supposed to be overnight success. You get found on Shark Tank. You know, someone's going to invest. Your app is sold for a billion dollars. A lot of younger folks, when we're coaching them and helping them, it seems like they feel like it's supposed to all happen now. And I tell them all the time, that which is quickly built is quickly torn down. So, you know, it's fascinating to see how much patience you guys have had through your process. Now, talk a little bit about this. Once you guys kind of got the bit between your teeth, it turns out these salons are going, hey, this is a good product. You seem to have a great flair for marketing and a great flair for brand and a great flair for getting the word out there. How did you go about really launching OPI and getting the word out there? You know, you mentioned the word relationship. Mm -hmm. And again, that's such an important thing for any entrepreneur that's starting out to build relationship with your customers, with your distributors, with your suppliers, Mm -hmm. with anybody. And even when you're, you know, there's somebody online, there's somebody behind that post, that Instagram, that Facebook mention. Relationships are extremely important. And, you know, I built a relationship. I made OPI personal to women all over the globe. Mm -hmm. Nail color is very personal. You wear it. It changes your look, your outlook, your mood. I mean, it really speaks. It's very self-expressive. You can Mm -hmm. do nail art. You can do so much. And I built that relationship with nail technicians, with the consumer, the end consumer wearing it. So, again, very, very important to speak to your audience and make it personal Today's consumer wants to be part of the brand, Mm. and she becomes your ambassador. Mm. You know, we have millions of women all over the world, our OPI's ambassadors, spreading that message, wearing our colors. Mm -hmm. So those things are extremely important to make it personal. You know, OPI is a brand that lives. I mean, with all these seasonal collections, Mm -hmm. we took the consumer traveling with us all over the world. And I think also, and again, I know you go into it in great detail, like coming up with the names of the colors and the great fun that is. It seems to have a little sassiness to it. I mean, uh, I'm not really a waitress, fee-fi-fo-plum, you know, tempura tantrum at your Quebec and call. 
So I'm there last night. My daughters, I have twin daughters, and they're back from the salon. And I'm telling them who I'm interviewing tomorrow. And they were all fired up. Dad's stock price. I mean, I've interviewed all of these heads of states and great sports star. But, man, when I told them that I was interviewing Susie from OPI, they thought Dad's stock price went up enormously, you know. And they're sharing their colors. And I asked them about it. And they're like, well, this fits my personality. It seems to me there's a lot of great thought and intentionality on your guys' part to think from your customer's perspective, to think about their needs, to think about how you want to make them feel. And that goes into not only the color, but the brand, and then even the quality of the product. Absolutely. We rebranded the category of nail color in the professional industry. We made it aspirational, fun, sexy. And what you bring up, the names that you mentioned, mm-hmm. it's such a huge part of the brand's DNA. Right. You may forget something an event or where you were, but you remember the name of the nail color that you wore on that day when you got married, when you had your child, when mm. something maybe sad happened, happy, special occasions in your life. You remember the nail color that you wore. It really is something. 38 years later, I travel and I mention OPI and people go crazy. I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's got a community. It's got a following. Like you say, people are part of the brand and they're advocates for it. Again, it's how you make them feel. And then along the way, obviously, you've done a great job with a lot of the who's who and celebrities and movie stars and TV programs. You put that in there. You have an interesting quote. You say, when you're starting out and money is tight, leverage all your social media platforms to bring exposure to your business. Free press is every bit as good as paid press. And today, there are huge opportunities to start businesses online. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's e-commerce. You don't even need brick and mortar. Mm -hmm. And you can spread your message in seconds. I am amazed. I mean, I'm still learning, to be honest with you, every day about social media. When I see we put something out and all of a sudden, hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people see our message. So it's an amazing time. It's not easy. Again, hard work. But the opportunities to get your message, to get the word out on all these different platforms is like nothing. I mean, when we started, we had to have press releases right. that took, you know, for an editorial mention. So today, that's probably the biggest change is social media and how you communicate to your audience. But the opportunities are literally endless. So today, people look, and here's OPI, best in brand, sold the company, you know, success, success, success. But I always tell people, if you want to really learn about business, you got to ask for the whole story. You guys had some setbacks. You've had a lot of challenges. Talk about some of the dynamics of how you guys overcame some setbacks. You guys dove into, like I mentioned, the lipstick business. And in hindsight, how you went about it, it turns out it was a totally different business distributed in a totally different way. And you had a manufacturer who didn't quite deliver the goods in some regards. And it caused some real pressure on the company financially and everything else. Talk about how you overcome a setback like that. So those setbacks can be harsh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it can right. be harsh financially. It can be harsh to your business knowledge and, you know, personally. But as my dad would say, that train left the station. Move on. <laughs> you can't catch that one. Right. And the best advice I can say, you know, hopefully one doesn't make too many mistakes, but, you know, mistakes happen. You got to move on. Mm -hmm. And as quickly as possible to try to recoup from things that you are doing well, that is selling, that is the it thing, so that the financial loss doesn't hurt too much. 
So, yes, decision-making, make decisions. It's one of the things that I advise people is to make decisions. If you feel good about something, go for it. <laughs> if your gut tells you yes, believe in yourself. Yeah. And again, when you make a bad decision, move on. Right. Well, you're 38 years in this space, and you're still on fire. You're still full of passion. Some folks seem to struggle in this area of really finding the juice. I mean, at the end of the day, there's a lacquer. There's a, a nail polish. It's something that is inanimate in some regards. How do you become so passionate about it? Where's the source of the passion come from, and why does it still fuel you today? You know, I feel as passionate today as when I started. Mm -hmm. I really believed in myself. I believed in, in the brand. I believed in our vision. I believed in what we wanted to build. And people ask me all the time, what was your it moment? And I say, every moment was an it moment. Mm. There wasn't one thing I went into the office and said, oh, my God, this is it. I made it. Right. Never. Yeah. You know, if I did something good, you know, my challenge was always, how do I do better than yeah. I did yesterday? Right. And as long as I feel, feel like that, I knew I would be successful. And the one thing that I never forgot is where I came from. Mm. And I do not want to go back there. Yeah, right. It is a blessing, right? It is a blessing when you have a perspective of hardships and difficulty and deprivation and lack of freedom and it does create that source and that's why one of the challenges for so many people today is maybe they're born into a middle-class family and things were okay and they went to a good school and it's finding that juice but it can be done i like to think we've raised our kids in a they've grown up in certainly a very different environment than i grew up in but they still have that drive and they still have that passion to go be the best they can be. I think the big thing you just said here is belief. You believed in yourself. You believed in the vision. You never stop believing. What I see now is the joy, the joy of the accomplishment, the joy of seeing that brand get out there, the joy that people get from interacting with the product and service you provide. And finding those small pleasures is still what stokes the fire more than dollars and cents. Absolutely. And the one thing that I'm sure you say to young people and I say to my children, life is all about experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, I had maybe more than my share, but it's very important to go through experiences and you learn from each one of them. Well, they say don't trust a man without scars. I, I'm not sure what the <laughs> corresponding thing is for a woman. That's why I really find the book phenomenal because it's layered throughout this very, very personal journey. And I feel like the journey is very outwardly focused in that you're sharing the difficulties you've gone through with a view towards helping somebody else. I find as an entrepreneur, and I'm dealing with thousands and thousands of businesses, that's what we coach, business people. And this is extraordinarily valuable from the seat of an entrepreneur through entrepreneurial endeavors, highs and lows, ups and downs. I read this quote and I said, uh, well, I've quoted something like this many times, which is, you don't actually own a business until you're making payroll, paying taxes, and you're responsible for other people. I, I like to say, you're not really in business until you write a personal check for payroll, Right. Absolutely. You know, somebody asked me, well, what happens when you have a bad day or things go bad? You know, what do you do? I said, you wake up in the next morning because now it's Wednesday and you know you have to meet payroll on Friday. Yeah. So you do your damnness for the next two days <laughs> to make some sales yep. so that you can pay the people who are there for you, who are supporting you and who are working hard. Yeah. And in addition to that, this is the beauty of it. And this is why I feel like we're kindred spirits is that you can do a great job for the customers. You can do well yourself, and you can take care of your staff. Fifth year in a row, we've been nominated the best place to work in San Diego. We have several hundred employees here. And you can have it all. 
you did a great job of taking care of your staff, investing in your staff, giving them great opportunities. Speak to that a little bit about, you know, taking care of all the people involved. You know, the one thing I'm most proud of is how the relationship we had with our employees. Mm-hmm. You're only as good as the people who work for you. Right. And a culture of a company is super important to the success of your brand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we took the people on the ride with us. From the person who took out the trash, because you can work if there's trash all around you, right. to the managers, to the people working in the factory. You know, we always had an open door policy and do not be a micromanager, mm-hmm. delegate. And what I learned, and you know, I grew up also in the business. I learned each and every day is if you delegate and you give authority to people, they can do things better than you. Mm-hmm. You just have to instill the vision that you have and have people help you to carry out your vision. And that's extremely important. Not micromanaging, which is very hard for a type personality to let go. Right. But you learn, and if you can do it, you will be successful. Right, because if it's just on you, you limit your opportunity. You have to empower others to do it. They may not have the same juice, and they may not have the same craft, but you can empower people. And sometimes they're more talented in different areas than the entrepreneur ourselves, right? And they add value. Absolutely, and I learned that. And once I followed my own advice, it works beautiful. That's great. We had amazing people working at OPI, dedicated, loyal, and uh, help build the brand. That's awesome. A couple more here. This is an off-the-beat one. What color do you wear the most often? Well, the most often, probably reds. You know, I love reds. very Hollywood. It's kind <laughs> of sexy and um, very passionate. Yeah. But, you know, I find myself wearing uh, greens and blues and yellows and every color, really. There's sure. nothing that's taboo. I always said... It's only you're limited in your mind as far as color. So I always encourage women to wear all colors and to try it. The best part about nail color is you can change it as often as you like. Right. The naming process and so on and so forth. And you're right in the middle of all of that and all the creativity. Of all the ones you named, what's been your, what's your baby? What's the the name that's kind of stuck with you? Up the Amazon without a paddle. <laughs> Sometimes in business, it was the South America collection. Many days in business, when you're in manufacturing, you kind of feel like swimming upstream on the Amazon, and you're looking for your paddles. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, well, Susie, I have five questions that I ask every guest on our podcast, and I want to uh, throw it out there to you. Just kind of, it'll help people kind of understand you a little bit more and where you're coming from, and. I haven't told you these are coming, so we'll just have fun with it, okay? Okay. All right. Number one, what's the single best piece of advice you've ever received? The single best advice, be patient mm. and be passionate. Who, oh, I guess that's two. <laughs> that's good. Where did you get that from? Who gave you that? My dad told me to be passionate, and my partner, George Schaefer, taught me to be patient. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and you think about it, right? That's the gas pedal and the clutch, right? Exactly. Very powerful. Very good. What one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Hmm. To be more social media savvy. Mm. I think that's something, as I mentioned earlier, I'm learning every day. And even today, just to make sure, I have my wonderful Carissa from my PR team next to me just to make sure that this all worked as it should. (laughs) Fantastic. Yep, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's a wide open. It almost feels like the Oklahoma land run, doesn't it, social media? There's so much power to it, so much opportunity with it. 
What book has been most instrumental in your life? What book has been very helpful? I love to read history. Mm. One of the greatest presidents, in my opinion, Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Love to read uh, books, you know, of how our forefathers, you know, wrote things and the difficulties they faced and all what history had. So those are probably the books that I love to read. That's awesome. I'm going to give you the shameless plug here. I'm telling you, there is a lot of entrepreneurs who are going to say, both men and women, I'm Not Really a Waitress is one of the most influential books in their business. I find the principles and the how-tos in this extraordinary. Just so you know, congratulations. It's really, really well done. And I'm a book hound, and it's really well done. My favorite book of the year. I know I've said that before, but I'm really fired up about it. Let me ask you this. Which movie do you watch over and over and over again? Hunt for Red October. Come on! (laughs) I love that thing when the pink sound. Oh, my God. That's the best. Sean Connery. I love it. Very good. (laughs) The Hunt for Red October. We love that. Okay, one last one. What's on your bucket list? What's something that's still to be done? To climb Machu Picchu. Fantastic. And you know what? With social media, you can make sure you're wearing the right nail polish (laughs) so that you can show your lacquers off and go, I climb Machu Picchu today with this color on. So fantastic. (laughs) What an inspirational story, an inspirational woman, a great entrepreneur. I love your spirit. And, you know, I'm excited. I mean, as an immigrant myself, I just find it inspiring when people come here with nothing take advantage of the American dream and still are a great advocate for it. One last thing as we talk about it, there was something that was very subtle in your book, which is you talk about, you said, in honor of Americans who liberated the camp where your mother was imprisoned. And many people can't even imagine what those camps were like and what the Jewish people went through. But you saw freedom. What was it like to go back there with your family and experience that? It's... uh uh, you know, it's hard for me to describe, and I get very emotional. My my mommy passed away this January. Oh, God bless you. And she was an amazing woman who really lived through hardships unimaginable. And, you know, she was a loving, wonderful lady. And it's horrors. She lost her parents, her two younger brothers. And my dad was in a forced labor camp on the Russian front. It was something that I will never forget. My mom, as we went through the gates in Auschwitz, my mom, as if she was running towards something, and my sister and I said, Mom, slow down. She went to where the crematorium was, the rubble, and she really fell on the floor and wanted to say the Jewish prayer of Kaddish, which is for the deceased, and she wanted to say that for her parents and brothers. Mm, Amazing. And I will never forget that sight. And you talk about in the book that she had such a from such a horrific beginning and trauma that she had this positive, incredible attitude her whole life and lived well into her 90s and passed that on to you and even having that in your background. And it just encourages, I think, everyone who has a past, everyone who's been through difficulties, everyone who's been through challenging circumstances, and even if they've been through some extreme trauma, like the way your family has been, that the movie doesn't end there, the story doesn't end there, Great days can lie ahead, and you're a great credit to her and your family, and your attitude and energy, I I know, is an inspiration to many. And uh, really, my mommy and my daddy, they really made every day count. Mm. Every day was a special day. Mm. Because of what they went through, they realized how precious life is and how wonderful it can be. Wow. Well, what a great way to end. I thank you so much. Bless you. I know you're a credit to both your mom and dad. You're a great credit to all immigrants that come here, a great credit to 
entrepreneurs of all sorts. Congratulations on all your success. Thanks for sharing the time with us today. And as we finish up here today, I'm going to pass this off to my mom, who always ends our call with a little Irish blessing. Until next time, we'll see you then. Thank you. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.